before last Sunday, I was in a sermon series called uh, Witchcraft in the Church. And I had preached on that, I know, for at least three Sundays, talking about who the devil is. The devil is real. The devil is fallen. The devil is limited. The devil is deceitful. And the devil is defeated. And so we've looked at some of those points and explored what it was. We also talked about how especially in this culture, people are fascinated with the paranormal. They're fascinated with witches and zombies and demon possession. That's very, very popular, especially in our culture. And so we took weeks of looking at that. And I use the word witchcraft because witchcraft is basically domination, manipulation, and control. That's what witchcraft is. And that's how the devil operates in the church. He kind of controls us, he manipulates us, and dominates us. And even in our relationships as husband and wife, we have to be very careful that we, we're not using witchcraft on our spouse, that we're not controlling them, manipulating them, and dominating them, because witchcraft is a very, very powerful thing that's mentioned in Scripture, and sometimes we can be used in witchcraft and not even know it. And that is why the Bible says you have to be careful of your relationship with each other, especially your spouse, because it can hinder your prayers. And so witchcraft is domination, manipulation, and control. And I use that because that's what the devil wants to do. He manipulates us. He controls us. He dominates us. And it happens even in our relationships. It happens in churches. It happens on our job site. And we don't even know that we can be a tool of the enemy. Now, we can't be possessed of the devil, but the devil can use our mouth to take someone's joy. He can use us. And so I've tried to express to you that even though the devil is defeated, the devil is also deceptive and he's tricky. He doesn't come with a pitchfork and a, uh, and a horn. He comes through false doctrine. He comes through manipulation. He comes through control. He comes through domination. And we as a body of believers have to be on guard. We have to know the tactics. We have to know the, the, we have to know, uh, the devices of the enemy. Because if we don't know, then it's possibly we could be used of the enemy. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be used of the enemy. I want to be an instrument of joy. I want to be a blessing to someone's life. I don't want to be a lesson to someone's life. Did you hear me? I want to be a blessing to someone, not a lesson. And so I don't want to give a foothold to the devil in my life, in my relationship, in my church, and how I deal with people. I want to be a life-giving person to people. I want to be a life-giving source. I don't want people, when they leave my presence, that they're sucked, that their, their joy is sucked out of their life, that they can't wait to leave my presence because I talk about myself all the time. I, I manipulate the conversation. I dominate the conversation. You know, you know what I'm telling you? If we're not careful, we can be used of the enemy and we're not even knowing it. And that's why I've stressed to you over and over and over that you've got to be careful of the, uh, of the, of the schemes of the enemy he, because he brings counterfeit into our life. He brings false doctrine. He brings manipulation. He brings control. And as you walk in the Word... As you immerse yourself in the Word, then you will be able to discern what is good versus evil. And let me say this. A child, a child cannot discern between putting their fingers or their hand on the stove when it's hot. you got to tell the child, don't touch it. Don't put your hand on the stove. Don't put your hand in the fan. Don't put your finger in the light socket. 
you got to tell a child not to do it because you know that child will get hurt if they don't listen to you, if you don't put boundaries in their life. And there are Christians who are not growing in the Lord. They're falling for false doctrine. They're falling for the manipulation. They're falling for the domination and control of the enemy because they're not growing in the Lord. And if you're not growing in the Lord, you can't discern what the devil is trying to do in your life. That's why you've got to know what the enemy's doing. You've got to be on guard. You've got to understand the schemes of the enemy. The enemy is not going to play games with you. You may think it's a game, but in the end, it's not a game. The enemy wants to destroy your life. And the Bible says that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this world. Can I really break it down to you, my friends? Some of the stuff that happens in our life, listen to pastor, some of the stuff that happens in our life is because we have caused it. Now, how many can raise your hand and say, pastor, I've caused some things in my life. Can I hear an amen? There are some things that we cause. If you walk in a room and you give everybody a piece of your mind and that person gets upset, it's not the devil. You did it. It is what you said, how you acted. There are some things that we do that we cause. But then there are other things that we don't do and we don't cause that the enemy, the devil, is behind it. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy is after to steal, kill, and destroy. He's after your marriage. He's after your home. He's after this church. He's after this shepherd. Because the Bible says if the enemy can strike the shepherd, he can scatter the sheep. Because that's the plan of the enemy. The plan of the enemy is to scatter people, and God's plan is to gather people. And any time the church is scattered and divided, that is the work of the enemy. Any time the Holy Spirit is at work, he gathers people together and he doesn't scatter people. Do you hear me? When the Holy Spirit is at work in a congregation, then we can get along. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter the level of our education. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks we may come from. It doesn't matter the economical system that we may adhere to or the political agenda that we may adhere to. When the Holy Spirit is at work, he gathers people together. And one of the things the enemy wants to do is bring offense, getting offended at people, getting upset with people. If the enemy can offend you, he can hinder your faith. There has to come a time in your life that you make a decision that you are resolved, that you are like a tree planted by rivers of living water. It doesn't matter how strong the winds are. It doesn't matter how hard the rain may be. Your root system goes down deep, and there is a resolve about you. There's a stickability about you. There's a perseverance about you. There's a steadfastness about you because your root system goes deeper you know what? There are, you know what? You know what? The palm tree. You ever notice the palm tree? You ever notice that when, when a hurricane comes, one of the, the last things that you'll see is a, a palm tree down. Some of them will be down, but some of them can really withstand high winds. And it's interesting to me because a palm tree, their root system goes down deep. And it's interesting to me that it may not rain for months, it may not rain for weeks. It could be hot and humid, but that palm tree will still flourish. How can a palm tree flourish 
in hot, humid weather without water for weeks. Because it has a root system that goes deep down in the ground and it finds water. And you know what the Bible says in the book of Psalm? The Bible says that you are planted like a palm tree and you will flourish in the kingdom of God. Flourish in the house of God. In other words, David likens the Christian or the believer to a palm tree because you do not need to rely upon someone watering you all the time because you've got a root system that goes deep down in your life. You don't need somebody to water you all the time. You've got a root system that has access to water. That is why Jesus said, go ahead and leave me, Peter. Go ahead and leave me, Judas. I have food that you know not of. In other words, I got a food source that you can't give me, and my food source comes from God, and it doesn't come from your affirmation, it doesn't come from your approval, it doesn't come because you like me, because I got a food source you don't know of. Do you have the ability to be like a palm tree, to have a root system that's deeper than what can be seen. That is why you can look at people and their life is falling apart. And you're like, it looks like their life is falling apart. How can you withstand that? You should have gave up a long time ago. Do you know why? Because they're not dependent on you for their survival. Their root system is much deeper. If you're waiting for someone to water you, you may dry up, my friends. Can I hear an Amen. If you're waiting for someone to water you all the time so you can survive, you won't survive. You've got to find a meat source. You've got to find a water source. You've got to find nourishment. And your root system has to go deeper. You see, the enemy is out to destroy. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this world. Listen. You're going to face situations. There are situations the enemy will come. The enemy will try to destroy you. He'll try to destroy your life. He'll just try to destroy your marriage and your relationships. He'll just try, try to destroy churches. And sometimes when you find yourself in the storm of life, you've got to have the right perspective. One of the things that I learned is that, number one, storms don't change commitment. You know what they do? They reveal commitment. Storms reveal commitment. Storms reveal commitment. They don't change your commitment. They reveal commitment. So when you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do and you find yourself in a storm and maybe it's the enemy, you've got to understand, number one, that storms don't change your commitment. They reveal how committed you are. How committed are you in the storm? How committed are you? If you fall by the wayside, then your commitment wasn't really strong in the beginning. It wasn't really strong in the... You know, one of the things I've learned is that when we find ourselves being attacked of the enemy, and we find ourselves in a storm, instantly we want to judge everything by our feelings. Well, God's not with me because I don't feel it. I don't feel like going to church. Listen, there are sometimes I don't feel like going to church. I love y'all, but sometimes I just don't feel like going. Can I hear an Amen. But I don't base my life upon how I feel. And one of the principles I've learned is this. Never let your feelings set in judgment over your faith. 
Never let your feelings set in judgment over your faith. Always let your faith set in judgment over your feelings. In other words, when you find yourself in the storm of life, you need to realize that I'm not going to allow my feelings to set in judgment over my faith. Uh -uh. I'm always going to let my faith set in judgment over my feelings. That's number two, Ronnie. So number three, I want you to see this. When you find yourself in a storm and the enemy is attacking you, I want you to remember this principle. I want you to glance at the problem, but I want you to gaze at the Savior. Because what happens is in the storm, we want to gaze at the problem and glance at the Savior. And if you're ever going to make it through the issue, if you're ever going to make it through the problem, you got to do more than just glancing at the Savior. You've got to gaze at the Savior. You remember Peter? He was sinking in the water. He tried to walk on the water. And I know that sometimes we want to throw Peter under the bus. Like as if, what's wrong with you, Peter? You should have walked on the water. Well, my friends, at least he had the courage to get out of the boat. There's two different types of people in the church. There's water walkers and boat talkers. I'm so glad that he got out of the boat and tried to walk. So when Peter began to walk on the water, he saw the winds and the waves and he began to sink. You see, the problem was that he glanced at the Savior. He didn't gaze at him. Because if you gaze at him, you'll make it through. Just glance at the problem. What do you mean, pastor? I'm simply telling you this. Don't deny the problem. Acknowledge the problem exists, but just glance at it and gaze at the Savior. Number four, the weight of your responsibility. When you find yourself in a situation, when you find yourself in a problem that either you have caused or the enemy has caused, the weight of your responsibilities of life cannot be supported by the shallowness of your relationship with the Lord. You will fail. That is why I'm stressing to make sure you come to church. That make sure you get involved in a small group. That you read the Bible. That you get with like-minded people to help you on your journey. You can't do it yourself. The weight of the responsibilities of your life cannot be supported by the shallowness of your relationship with the Lord. I was praying one time. As I was praying one time, I felt like the Lord said to me as I was praying, he said, son, how high can I take you without losing you? Think about it. How high can I take you without losing you? If my relationship is shallow, I won't be able to bear the weight of the responsibilities of my life. Remember I said that your life is like a tree. Your branches is like responsibilities. And your root system is your prayer life and your relationship. If you don't have a root system, you will become a person that is always desiring to be watered by other people. 
You've got to have a root system. Your branches are your responsibilities. You see, when you find yourself in a crisis, a storm, either you have caused or the enemy has caused, then you've got to realize that the crisis is not the final word. It's not the final word. It's not the final word. It's never the final word. You've got to remember that you can't let your drama become your truth. And sometimes when we find ourselves in drama and trauma, and we find ourselves in crisis, it becomes our focus. And when that becomes our focus, it becomes our truth. But when you find yourself in a situation like that, it's not the truth. It hurts. You feel like you don't know what to do. You're not supposed to deny the problem. But you can't let that become your truth. You see, I I realize that when I'm going through something, and I find that life is difficult and life is hard, I find that sometimes i got to manage my life before there's a deliverance. You see, you got to recognize the difference between management and deliverance. Now, I want you to see that. You've got to recognize that when you're in a situation that there's a difference between management and deliverance. Sometimes God will not deliver you from the situation. Sometimes He allows you to go through it. And what do I mean by that? Sometimes you've got to manage yourself. You've got to manage your emotions. You've got to manage your spiritual life. You've got to manage it. You know you're not delivered. The situation's still there. Nothing has really changed. And that is why you've got to develop the discipline of management. I've got to manage my life until the discipline comes. Until the deliverance comes. Can you do that? Because sometimes in our spiritual life, we want the deliverance. We don't want to manage anything. We want deliverance. Listen, I've said this over and over, but I find it's true. That bondages are bad, but battles are not. Bondages are bad, but battles are not. You see, there will be times that you will be in a battle. There will be times that you will be feeling like you don't know what to do and how to go and what to say. And sometimes there is no deliverance. You've got to understand that there is a difference between management and deliverance, and sometimes God will let you to go through it. And He wants you to manage your emotions. He wants to, you to manage your, your, your spirit. Listen, it's hard. Why does he want you to do that? Because really, in essence, that's growth. It's growth. And I find myself that when I'm walking through something, a storm, a crisis, a drama, a trauma, when I find myself going through something, either I've caused it or the enemy has caused it, I realize that my strength is not found in the approval of people, whether they water me. It's really found in the depth of my relationship with Christ. It's one of the sad things as a pastor is I've done this for, you know, 20 years, ever since I was, you know, 20 years old. And I love people. Let me say, I love this. I eat this, drink this, sleep this. I love it. I would do this. I mean, I just love it. I, I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to go anywhere else. I love people. I love pastoring. This is what I'm called to do. I love it. And I love you. Some pastors love the crowd. I love people. I love if there's 50 or there's 100 or 300. I just love people. And I realize that discipleship is messy. 
I realize that my growth is not the same as you. We're all on different levels. We're all growing at different paces. We're all growing, or we're supposed to grow. And one of the key values of my ministry is that you will hear me say this over and over. I want you to grow. I want you to grow. Will you get involved in a class? Will you get involved in a small group? I'm always going to challenge you and push you because I'm a firm believer that growth never happens away from community. You see, a church is not something you attend, but church is a community that you engage in. It's not something I just go one Sunday morning. This is a family. This is a community. It's something that we engage in, not a service that we attend. And I'm a firm believer as a pastor, because I love you, I realize what the enemy does. And the very first thing that people will do is start to isolate themselves. Don't want, don't, they come early, leave late, don't want to touch, don't want to talk to no one, don't want to, and, and that's because that's, that's the trick of the enemy. He's manipulating us, he's dominating us, he's controlling us, because God has called you to be a part of a body, for you to engage in a body, to be a part of a body, because the body is a life-giving source to your spiritual formation. You can't do it without the body. You can't come to the church and say, boy, I love Jesus, I love the head, but I hate his body. The head and the body goes together. It goes together. You can't love Jesus and hate the church. Boy, I'm preaching. But pastor, you don't know what the church did to me. Well, the church is Jesus' spouse. And his spouse is imperfect, but he still loves his spouse. And the person you're married to, they're not perfect either, but you still love them. The church is not perfect. It has a lot of, lot of issues, but it's still his church, and the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's still his church, it's still his vehicle, and it's still his messenger to deliver the gospel to the world. It's still his church. Did you hear me? So you got to recognize the difference between management and deliverance, and I said this to say this. Is that as a pastor, I want you to grow. And, and what I've seen is that people say, boy, I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing. If you're growing, number one, anything that grows, their appetite becomes hungry. Anything that grows has an appetite. Anything that grows, discharges of waste. Anything that grows, reproduces. How do I know I'm growing? Is your appetite changing? Is there a desire for more of God, more of church, more of community, or do you find yourself being isolated? Are you growing or becoming isolated? Are you intentionally going forward or unintentionally going back? Is there, number two, a discharge of waste? What do I mean by that? Are you actively doing evaluation of your life and saying, maybe I don't need to gossip? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to discharge in my life? Is there oh, something in my life that you want me to repent of and walk in holiness? Is there a person I need to go ask for forgiveness of? Is there something in my heart that's not right? Is there a desire to discharge of the waste in your life? Number three, anything living reproduces after itself. Is there a desire to share the gospel? Or is it all about you and your family? Are you looking outside of your four walls and seeing someone else? Are you investing into someone else? You see, it doesn't take any money to raise up 
someone. You can invite them for dinner after church. You can extend a helping hand to someone. That's why I ask you to bring somebody to church. That's why I ask you to do random acts of kindness. Begin to think outside of the box. Reproduce yourself. This year I started a mentorship class on Saturday nights. We had it last night. We only meet four or five times during a semester. And during those times, I take about three hours. You know what I do? I take three hours, and I just pour into people. I mean, last night was phenomenal. It really was. I left last night charged because I had these group of people in the back room, and I'm just preaching to them, and I'm giving books, and I'm giving them resources, and I'm telling them how to grow, that you can be world changers, that God wants to use you. It's really amazing. And I leave, and I go home, and I just sleep like a baby. You know why? Because there's something on the inside of me that's saying, I don't want to keep this all to myself. I want to get it out of me and give it to somebody else because maybe they can do something that I can't do. You see, is there a desire? Is there an appetite in your life? Are you making excuses why I don't want to go? Or are you making every excuse why you can go? You know? You're not going to hear me talk about attending church less. We live in a society where it's the law, you know what it's called? The law of diminishing intent. Things don't naturally get better. Things naturally get worse. So I'm your coach. I'm going to tell you you need to come because things are getting worse. And God has a plan. This is an army station where we come and we get the orders from the general so we can go out and we can make war on the devil's kingdom. What are you saying, Pastor? Listen, sometimes we overcomplicate his will. And underestimate his ways. I'm asking you. I'm asking you to grow. What books are you reading? What music are you listening to? Who are the people you're hanging out with? Oh, you can hang out with non-Christians. It's called the principle of contact without contamination. You can be in contact with them just as long as you make sure they don't contaminate you. Go ahead and eat with them. Go ahead and fellowship with them. Just make sure they don't contaminate you. You contaminate. Why is it that Christians hang out with non-Christians and they eventually leave the church? Because the shallowness of the root system of their life. I want when people hang out with me they become like me. I contaminate them. They don't contaminate me. The Holy Spirit is calling us. Do you hear His voice? There's a treasure that you've never seen. There's a depth to God that you haven't yet reached. There's a place in God that you've never been. There's a freedom in God that you haven't yet experienced. Please don't be disillusioned by the manipulation of the enemy that tells you that all you see is all there is. I want to tell you something. I've been to the prayer closet 
there's a depth to God. It's much more this. There's a place in God that if you can get to, you say, Pastor, I don't understand it. The Old Testament, outer court, inner court, holies of holies. Sometimes you got to manage yourself until you get to the inner court. Sometimes you just got to manage it until you get to the place where you are delivered. Sometimes you just got to walk past the brazen altar, past the inner court, the outer court. You got to pass the priests and the Levites until you get to a place where you become so resolved and so determined and so infiltrated, so infiltrated by the passion of God that your offense doesn't bother me. Your words can't break me anymore. I'm resolved. And that's why Jesus said, when the evil one comes, he has nothing in me. Go ahead and let the devil come. He has nothing in me. Why? Because he found himself in a place where Jesus' relationship with the Father was not shallow. It's interesting as I close. It's very interesting to me that the very first thing that happens to Jesus in his ministry, because Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry, or 33 years old when he started his ministry. What did he do until he was 30 years old when he started his ministry? He died at 33, but he started his ministry at 30. What did he do all of his life until 30 years old? He served. He worked. He was a carpenter. And it may look like it was nothing. He managed his life. And he only had three years that made a difference. Because God's plan is not that you prepare everything. God's plan is, that, God's plan is not that you plan everything. God's plan is that you prepare yourself. Because life doesn't always go what you think it should go or how you planned it should go. Your responsibility is not to plan. Your responsibility is to prepare. And when you prepare your life, whatever is planned, you will be able to face it. And when Jesus was 30 years old, what happened to him? The very first thing. Now get this. The very first thing. The very first thing. The very beginning of his ministry, what happens to Jesus? He is baptized in the water. And the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hold on. That's, that's the start of his ministry. And then that's Matthew chapter 4. Then you turn the page. Matthew chapter 4, 5, 6, 7. He's teaching. And guess what happens? You have some religious leaders coming to Jesus, saying to Jesus, you're the devil. You have religious leaders calling him the son of the devil. You have religious leaders picking up stones to stone him. 
You have religious leaders accusing him of things he's never done. You have Judas betraying him for 30 pieces of silver and Peter denying that he even knew him. Now the question, my friends, is how in the world did Jesus survive that? You say he's God, but I would say he's man too. How did Jesus survive all that persecution and rejection and lies? Because at the very beginning of his ministry, he heard the voice of the Father, and the Father said, I am proud of you. You are my son. Jesus got the approval of his Father at the beginning of his ministry because he knew that people would lie on him and cheat on him and say things about him that is not true. And if he wasn't firm and strong in his relationship with the Father, he would have fell apart in his ministry. And that is why at the the very beginning of his ministry, he had to make sure I got to get my life together and I got to make sure I know who I am with the Father. Because when he, when he got himself and heard the voice of the Father and the Father said, I approve of you, it didn't matter what the religious leaders said. It didn't matter what Judas said or what Peter said. Oh, of course it hurt him. But he was willing to tell him, sleep on, sleep on. I already had my approval three years ago. The Father already approved of me. And people fall apart in church, give up on God, walk away from the church. I thought you were growing. Your life will fall apart if your root system is shallow. Hear the words of this preacher. Your life will fall apart if your root system is not deep. It will fall apart. It will be like every wind wave. Ephesians 4. He said, don't be like Christians who are given by every wind of doctrine toss to and fro, but every wind of doctrine. See, I'm asking you as your pastor, I'm asking you to do evaluation of your heart. Ask this question. Am I really growing? It's okay if you're managing your life. That's all right. It's okay if you admit that it's not good. It's not the pace I'm worried about. It's the direction I'm worried about. I'm concerned about your appetite. I'm concerned about holiness. Concerned about us reproducing ourselves. See what I'm saying? It's kind of like Jesus. Remember he was at the mountain? The Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John said, Oh Lord, oh Lord, why don't you build a tent here and here and here and let us just stay on this mountain for the glory. Glory. 
But at the bottom of the mountain, there was a demon-possessed man. God's not called us to live in the glory all the time. He's called you to get down off of the mountain and go down to the end of the mountain because there's people at the edge of the mountain that needs help. And if you got all this glory that you think you got, will you please leave the mountain because there's some people at the edge of the mountain and at the bottom of the mountain that need some help. It's not about us getting all the glory and supernatural experiences. I love it. But folks, we got to leave the mountain sometimes and go down to the edge of the mountain, the bottom of the mountain, because there's some people that need us. Y'all hearing my heart today? Y'all hearing my heart? Are we growing? Are you serving somewhere in the church or are you just coming and sitting and listening to a sermon? Is there a desire to serve? Is there a desire to be involved? Is there a desire to get hooked up and share your life with someone? Is, is, is there an appetite to do all you can for God? Well, I'm too old. You're not too old. I'm not smart enough. That's the enemy. He's manipulating your mind and controlling, dominate. No, no, no. He's not looking for a Jeremiah and a Hezekiah. He's looking for a Jeremiah. Are you willing to say, how go? I'll be uncomfortable. I'll grow. Growth in closing. My second closing is this. And I know I said it twice. And I know I've preached for 36 minutes. But I'm going to end with this. Growth is the great alienator. It alienates people. Growth is the great alienator. It's hard to be with someone that's not growing. Because when you grow, your mindset changes. Your views change. Your worldview changes. I'm not saying liberal. I'm talking about scripture. More in love with the scripture. The other day, somebody was talking to me. The whole time they talked to me was nothing but negativity. How they hated this and hated that and hated this and didn't care for that. How they were hurt and somebody did them wrong. For 20 minutes, the whole, the whole conversation was. Whole conversation. Now, as a pastor, I love people. And out of the same mouth, they said, but I love Jesus. I, I really want to grow. No, you don't want to grow. Because you're still talking like you're still in Egypt. Pastor, don't judge me. I'm going to judge according to Scripture because I don't want God to judge you in the end. I want your soul to be saved. I want your heart to be sanitized. Amen.